You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 1979 classic the Amityville horror er, er, er. that's my echo effect that's your echo effect <laughs> get out get out are you worried that that's going to happen when you get into your new home it would have already happened when we went to it because unlike most fucking horror movies we went to the house before we moved into it but that happened in this film they went around all uh, they looked i liked that i like that that so my classic problem with haunting films where they're going into the house as if for the first time dropping tens of thousands of dollars on a property uh we don't have to worry about that not this time no we don't they actually saw the house yay lots of family they even knew all about the murders. They really, really did. It's This is not something that they needed to go and look up with microfiche, although we get a microfiche scene later. Which is awesome. I forgot about the library scene in this, and it's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. <laughs> but yeah, so the Amityville Horror. Um, we're leading out of Stephen King of Palooza, mm-hmm. and we're still kind of sticking in things that probably fed his fire, things that fired off of him, perhaps. Jay Anson had written this novel around the time when Stephen King was, was coming out and getting bigger. 1975 was when this happened in real life. The Lutz family moved into the former DeFeo home on Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. And they moved in on my birthday, the exact day I was born. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's always my favorite thing. It was Wednesday the 13th when the DeFeo murders happened. Really? Yeah. So mm. I wonder if Wednesday 13, the singer, had had known that or if that's part of why he's named what he's named or if it's just like Wednesday Adams 13's unlucky or whatever. But it was Wednesday the 13th. I didn't know that about your birthday. That's nice. I know. It's my favorite. There was a test tube baby born on the day I was born. The first test tube baby. And also the Lutz family moved into the DeFeo home. That's good. You know, the best part about this podcast dear listeners, is you get to listen to Liz and I learn about each other in real time. I was hoping it was a Friday the 13th when the DeFeo family murders had happened, and that's when I went to look it up, and it was actually a Wednesday. Uh, but Wednesday's childs are full of woe, so there's a, there's a creepiness to Wednesday. There certainly is, and uh, thanks to this film, there's a creepiness to 3.15 in the morning. <laughs> You're not kidding. There have been a lot of other films Uh, that have come out before the Amityville Horror about hauntings and things of that nature that uh, become as iconic as this film in particular. Now, you had raised a really interesting point about this film and about this story. It's that the film itself is almost inconsequential to the fact that the story itself was so huge coming off of the book and stuff like that. And what has been muddled in all of that 
was the real murders that actually occurred. Which are even an afterthought in the film here. They're, they're vaguely mentioned at the beginning, and then you get some flashbacks, and of course the story sort of is peppered with George's likeness to Ron DeFeo, in the, like the supposed likeness in the film anyway, in this fictionalized version. Um, because Jansen did write a fictionalized version of the true story, mm-hmm. and that was not a mystery. Decades, though, of pomp and like blown out of proportion stories and the Warren's involvement, the Warren's input into this story and the subsequent tell-alls that have come out from Lutz children afterward and more insight onto the DeFeos, but not quite as much. The original, very creepy actually, tale of the original murder has been almost overshadowed this film completely overshadowed by the decades of fucking storytelling that has gone on about the Amityville horror. If you guys are interested to know the full story about the uh, real murders that occurred in that house, you can do a search on splatterpictures.net. An article I wrote a few years ago about uh, based on a true story where I took several films, uh, two of which that we're going to be tackling in the next uh, couple of jumps today, Amityville Horror, and then next we have Haunting in Connecticut. Both of those uh, real-life events I, I chronicled in, in an article that you can read, but um, you can take us through it if you'd like. Well, there isn't much to say, and that's like the problem with this murder, right? Everyone knows the fucking story. It's like, might as well talk about the Tate murders. What happened that night on Celio Drive? But here's the thing. Not everyone knows exactly what happened on... Because we literally just, like, talked about how people don't really talk about the murders, except for the hauntings. Yeah, and I one thing I don't want to talk about, because it's still all just conjecture, is what was wrong with Butch DeFeo? Was he on heroin? Was he on acid? Was he abusing drugs to the point that he had drug-induced psychosis? Because this is one angle. Was he abused? Was he in a a fucking um, incestuous relationship? within his family like has there been satanic cult theories because that's always a popular thing is there a micmac burial ground under the house (laughs) i i do strongly believe that there was something about the house that exacerbated his state whatever it be whether this be a supernatural event completely psychotic event if this was a building up of normal everyday pressure within a, a poor soul so to speak um his behavior since has led everyone to believe that he's just simply psychotic. He was a borderline personality or something. I'm no um, psychologist, so I mm. can't, you know, diagnose the poor guy. But whatever it was that triggered him, whether it be a Micmac burial ground or what was it? The Shinnecock Indians in this yeah. tale? <laughs> whatever it was, one night he got up. And shot his whole family. Shot his whole family in such a way that really the method of murder becomes what I find the most fascinating. You knew, you and I had talked about this briefly when I first came over because this is what we chat about. Yeah, before the show, because I was worried, not worried, but I didn't want to not address the subject matter of Amityville 2, the possession, which is basically <laughs> these murders that are actually kind of creepy. Like, the whole Lutz story has been discounted in so many fucking ways. We've got to all agree, as rational human beings, it's a hoax. It was a 100% hoax. Yeah. And 
it's just sort of fed on and further victimized it fails, I believe. Mm-hmm. Now, he shot in cold blood two brothers, a sister, and his parents all at once and with a rifle, which we were talking about this and had to actually check on that because we had, because of this film, because of other popular culture uh, warping recollections, mm-hmm. that it wasn't a shotgun. Because yeah. we were like, you could hear a shotgun. Like, how come they didn't wake up? And that's always been the number one button to push on this. Is Well, it must be a supernatural event. He must have been possessed or there must have been something um, holding the family hostage, so to speak, mentally or physically um, or psychosomatically. Because how do you not fucking hear a shotgun? And we still wrestle with this. Mm-hmm. How come no one heard it? No neighbors heard it? And it was a rifle, though. But still, it's loud. Mm-hmm. We had looked it up, and it was a thirty-five caliber uh, rifle as well. I've never shot thirty-five caliber, but I've shot twenty-twos, and I've shot even higher caliber, uh, caliber uh, rifles and handguns. The noise that these things produce, if you have never been around live rounds, it's in it, how loud you think it is. It's louder. Granted, a shotgun is the loudest thing I've ever shot. But true, all guns are fucking loud. All guns, they're are, all louder are fucking than fucking loud. thunder. That's the thing. And, and I was the the way that this film sets up, you might be able to excuse it for the fact it was a large house. There was a, a raging thunderstorm, and maybe it was like Shawshank Redemption, right? You know, you just like time the the shots to the to the clap of thunder, and then no one hears it. That's ridiculous. A, a gun going off in an enclosed space like that would be even louder. It would particularly wake up people if you shot someone and then immediately shot someone next to them. And if they didn't have enough time to react, which is reasonable, People who would be waking up from a dead sleep would be disoriented long enough for you to kill two people for sure. But people and kids in the bedroom and and the when you look at the crime scene photos from this murder, they are still lying in bed. They're still lying in bed. Toxicology found no drugs in their system. And granted, you could argue that toxicology isn't what it mm. is today than it was in 1975. Uh, but... I mean, it, the drugs themselves haven't really changed and anything would have been detected. Anything that Ron Butch DeFeo could have got his hands on mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't have been that insidious of a drug to not be able to be detected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do a lot of damage to somebody with a with a rifle. Perhaps there was other injuries that weren't seen, but to, Ron has told three different stories since, and not one of them said that he drugged them or, you know, put an air bubble into their system with a syringe, like in all the movies. Oh my god, yeah. Who knows what. Yeah. But yeah. it is, that is a creepy factor to me. He was stalking around the house. He said it happened all very, very fast, but it can't happen that fast that one of those kids, a seven or eight year old kid, would be up, scared, and scrambling away. Mm-hmm. Or toward the danger, so there would be a body on the floor in the hall, not in bed. I don't know, it's just weird. It'll always be fucking weird to me. Yeah, it, it is It is a fascinating aspect to this uh, very brutal, heinous crime. Um, then he took a shower, changed his clothes, and went down to the bar. Went down to the bar. That was to be his alibi. I was at the bar this whole time. Then he discovers his dead family. He makes a phone call. He got shaken in the bar and said he thinks that someone killed his family. Yeah. Very confused. But confused maybe just coming up with a lie real fast. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. But still, it was very, it was a very strange 
case. And I can see why it fed the imaginations of the entire North American fucking pop culture populace at the time. 1975, you still had like movies coming out fairly quickly. This came out in 1979. The book was written very quickly afterward. Like all of this happened kind of fast for the 70s. Mm-hmm. Not like now where, you know, you got a made for TV movie two months after court case is done. Yeah. But still, it's pretty fast back then. And this was the talk of the town, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I, the Lutzes were, t- were making a fortune touring around telling their story, uh, hawking their books and, and their tell-alls and, and, and shit like that. It, the, not unlike the Warrens themselves just parading around. If you guys aren't familiar who the Warrens are, go back and listen to our Conjuring 2 episode of uh, the podcast and we go into the the great hucksters that the Warrens were. Um, and there's even, a, there's even a little tie to this film th- that remind me of the Warrens just based off of their book, The Demonologist. But um, Not their book, but the, the, book, book, about the book about them. That was approved by... Uh, not the Andrew Piper awesome horror story, but mm, yeah. yeah. Well, dark, chilling fiction. But the first time I ever encountered the story of the Amityville horror, I was a wee lad. A wee lad. I was a wee lad, and it came in the form of a documentary. A documentary about the hauntings. Now, I'll never forget this, because it was probably the most scared I ever was watching a documentary. I had stayed home sick from school and I was still in elementary school. I do remember that vividly. And there I was in the basement in Alta Vista Drive, <laughs> swaddled in blankets, got a tea and, 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 you know, my grandmother's home, but that's pretty much it. And there I am just sitting there watching television. And there was this ghost story i guess i thought it was i don't know but this little girl was talking to oh who was this something called jody and the kids and the parents thought it was something nondescript it's an imaginary friend nothing scary about that and again it just kept going on and on and there was this one shot from the documentary that i'll never fucking forget where they're leaving the little girl's room and it was, of course, decorated just so with like red carpets. It was creepy. And there's this doll, this doll that all of a sudden its eyes start glowing red. And I guess that's just, it's just to like boost the atmosphere or some shit like that. I was genuinely freaked out. <laughs> and, and I remember being so scared watching this, but not being able to turn away. And when it got to the moment in which they're running out of the house, and, and, and I remember aspects, uh, uh, when you watch the film, I remember, and they're going through the house uh, doing their prayers. I remember those scenes from the documentary and all of these things that were put together that are just part of the Lutz's uh, t- story about what they went through in those 27, 28 days or however long they were in the house for. Uh, and I, at the end of it, running out of the house, and I thought that was so scary. And and again, they kept cutting to the very famous outline of what the house looked like, and that it looked had eyes almost. That the house looked like it had a face. We as humans assign faces to things at every opportunity because we're bred to view them. Uh, so it was crazy. I'm I'm so fucking scared. And I remember thinking to myself, if only I didn't stay home from school, <laughs> I would never have seen this fucking documentary. And I 
remembered it weirdly because Jody became Jeremiah to my, in my head. And I was always like, yeah, there was like some documentary about some haunting and it was the ghost was called Jeremiah. I can't remember. It wasn't until I finally watched this film for the first time that things started to click together. And I said, oh, it must have been a documentary about this that I would watched. And, and yeah, that's... That's me. Doesn't it kind of suck in a way when you write a true crime story or something or watch a documentary and then years later you're watching a horror movie and halfway through you're like, oh my fucking God, this is that. Because I had that about, oh, I can't remember his name off the top right now, but this uh, serial killer and, well, he was more of like a kidnapper in Philadelphia that kept chicks in a pit in his basement having a breeding program. Yeah, halfway through a movie I was just like, oh my God, this is that movie about that freak okay yeah Yeah, it kind of sucked because it ruined the movie for me but (laughs) mm. the true story was 10 times more insane actually but yeah that's that's cool and that is kind of doubly chilling because you're listening to a story about someone who was probably your age at the time getting shot to death by their older brother Mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah yeah it was really 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 uh uh, not a fun time at the time but it really fed into my imagination about why i love horror so much because that feeling of being scared is what i what i'm in for that's what i want with me, it was quite typical. The the book, the Jay Anson book, was on the, my grandparents' shelf, or my grandparents, my grandmother's shelf. So I had read the book, uh, I don't know when, fairly young, when I was going through all of her horror books. And I distinctly enjoyed that one because it did remind me the layout of the house of having a large house, right? And my grandmother had a very large house. So it was fun to just pretend like this is three stories, this is sort of the layout of that house and it's very similar to the layout of this house and it garnered some light nightmares and it was very wonderful so then years later to watch the movie when it was probably on tv watched it with my mom and enjoyed it very much and then have watched remakes spin-offs paid attention to all the documentaries i've watched i think probably every amityville documentary mm-hmm. afterward I've watched all sorts of youtube crap. i've read all sorts of ridiculous reddit threads about it like, yeah i just like the amityville story i get more and more turned off as they turn out these fucking spinoffs though i was very excited to watch the last two amityville movies and i haven't because they've just become jokes i am only really familiar i've seen the amityville 2 uh, and i have uh, seen the 2005 remake with ryan reynolds those are the which is a which is a decent remake it's a very good remake yeah. I, I enjoyed it very much it's not just for the ryan reynoldsness because women are supposed to really like his movies just for him yeah but uh yeah no he did he does a very good performance it doesn't quite give me the same feeling as watching this one though no, I, I, and you would, I know you weren't being serious when you said this, but you know, back in the 70s where people knew how to make uh, horror movies, and I was like, that's very funny because in, in a way, I kind of think that. Yeah, but you, you know, I'm being sarcastic, but there's a little tiny part of me that's like, yeah. Yeah, but there's something kind of right. <laughs> there's something about just looking at an older film where things just seem kind of scarier. It seems almost like you are watching documentary footage because there's like a, a, not a 16 millimeter quality to it, but that graining quality to it where things just seem a little bit, you know, nowadays films are just so crisp and they're so clear and the editing is, is just so sharp. And there, there is a way that that film is told 
beyond the script now, technically speaking, where I think it is just there. I'm not going to say it's homogenized because, again, that's a shitty thing to say. Because there's and a, I don't want to say paint by numbers. And I don't that's wanna, a shitty thing to that's say. That's a shitty thing because I don't want anyone to think that that we don't like modern horror. There was tons of modern horror that we absolutely adore, and we're going to be hitting a, a newer one, newer one, a 2000s one next. So that we both really like. Yeah. That has a that owes a lot to this film. Agreed, uh, and, and and I like when conversations happen really organically because when uh, when we were talking about doing this, I think that this was really oh yeah, you want to do that because it was a conversation where when uh, so Margot Kidder had passed away earlier this year, and I wanted to rewatch the Amityville. I had had that Blu-ray for a little while. I got it for very cheap, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to give this a spin and, and give it a watch because I didn't want to watch Black Christmas because that's my Christmas movie. <laughs> but um, when I, I watched it, I I posted about it on Instagram, and I had this thought about I can't believe we've never done this like it seems and so it's never even come up it's never even come up even though we you and I joke about it because you are a woman that gets cold very easily and so we joke about the the log fire oh, we've actually made jokes on the air we've talked about <laughs> Amityville but we've never brought it up in our production meetings not for once not once and and I don't know if that's just because oh it's too big or oh I don't know if Lydia is going to want to do it even though we both clearly like, love this film yeah. but <laughs> anyway it, it came to the point in which you had suggested oh, you want to do it? I was like, yeah, I do want to do it. And and it started because I had a simple question because I've never read the book. Big fucking surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wanted to know about certain uh, story elements in the film that kind of go nowhere, in my opinion. And I wanted to know if maybe they were more fleshed out or more concrete in the book. Partially, but also the time constraints, they, they wasted a lot of time in this film on these subplots that make a lot more sense in the book because it's more fun to go chapter to chapter in different points of view where it doesn't make as much sense in a film, especially when you've got too many that seem to go nowhere that ultimately do go nowhere. I really need to dig out that book. I need to dig out a couple of books because all my books are packed up right now. So. Yeah. Jay Anson collection, which I joke about because it's two books. The guy put out two books. A poor guy started writing really late in his life and he did this in the book 666, which is very similar to Amityville Horror in that it is a house that has some sort of supernatural presence, and but it's far more fleshed out. It's a really actually, I've, I highly recommend it if you like this sort of like you know, the evil next door and haunted houses and moving into a haunted house or being charged with a haunted house to a certain extent or possession that has to do with the house itself. He just did a second one with 666 and I fucking like that book a lot. But then he passed away. He passed away even before it came out. So. Did you, you did you cover that book on uh, Typical Books? I did. Yeah, okay. I thought so. I, th- yeah. I was like, this is all sounding familiar. And I know I haven't read it. So how do I know about this book? Well, if you're a really lazy collector, uh, Jay Anson Collection is an attainable goal. <laughs> two books. Yeah, two books. Done. Now you're an official Jay Anson collector. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. No, I... Uh, Really enjoyed it. So, yeah, go check that out at Typical Books on my YouTube. And you can get to my YouTube from my new URL, which is LydiaPeaver.ca. I like this. It's concise. People know your name, mm-hmm. Lydia Peaver. And you can get you right there. Exactly. You can still go to nightface.ca. It's the same place. I just got a new URL that is actually a little more indicative of my entire body of work and not just the one book Nightface. 
That's true. It's because you've evolved as a as an artiste. Mm-hmm. And I've also evolved as a human being, and I'm going to grow wings. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't know. I've just been playing too much Diablo. <laughs> People are going to know exactly your video game habits, because I think this might be the second or third podcast in a row that you've mentioned Diablo. Maybe this is the second one, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very good. I'm glad that you're happy and that you've got time for video games again. It's all it's not just because I'm biding my time before moving, mm-hmm. and all of my books are packed up, right? So I've got nothing to do. Yeah. Um, but I am waiting on Diablo Four, like everyone else in the world. There was a period, a few days, when I was just about to move, and a couple of days afterwards, where my Instagram was super active because I was, and and I was, what I was doing was just watching my horror collection. Because that was something that I was mostly packed up, but I, I left sort of the, the, the certain ones accessible because I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to want to watch some of these, especially films that I hadn't watched yet. And so my Instagram is all just uh, watching this horror movie, watching this horror movie. And I knew it's like, yeah, it's because I have no internet and I have, you know, just nothing but time. I, I was on vacation. So I was like, I guess I'm just going to watch Friday the 13th again and... Uh, so on and so forth yeah it's been a lot of diablo here because most of everything's packed up and Mm -hmm. it's just the waiting game now that's good hectic week little fortress of boxes and shit i like it it is it's acoustic i think we'll probably sound better with all this shit around us (laughs) but what is this movie even about anyways lydia how you gotta really watch wild boars, I figure, can burrow up under your house and they have a little den and that's where this black goo comes up. It's like it can sometimes come up your toilet pipe, so you gotta really watch it with the wild boars. And the wild boars could probably burrow through the basement and antagonize your dog. And maybe the dog and the boar got in a fight and that's why there's the blood on the walls. And that's likely what bursts through the door. Because it's not like it's a, it's a paranormal entity or supernatural entity. And it's probably the scuffling and shuffling and grunting or strange pig squ- piglet squealing noises that your young daughter's hearing. And when a pig grunts, it kind of sounds like it's saying Jody, Jody. So maybe she thinks that she has an imaginary friend, but it's really just the sound of the wild boars that burrowed under your house that are making her think she has an imaginary friend and making your whole house like the flies, obviously boars, flies, you know how that goes. This whole thing could have been avoided if they would have just put out a boar trap. What's fucking happening? <laughs> Didn't you see the wild boar? Didn't you see the wild boar in the window, Wes? Didn't you see the wild boar? The wild boar. That's the, the, the whole fucking movie's explained entirely. I see the wild boar and I go, oh, that's what happened. And what I just said is why the Amityville... It wasn't haunted. It had nothing to do with the poor people that had died there earlier. They had a wild boar problem that no one noticed. Well, how... The shotgun wounds. Or the, the rifle wounds. What rifle wounds? Those were boar wounds. No, oh, that's the DeFeos. We're talking Lutzes. Oh, the man. Lutzes. You're all gotcha. stuck in DeFeo land when it's clearly Lutz time, Wes. <laughs> well, we are having Lutz of fun with this fucking synopsis, aren't we? Uh, did you not see the wild boar? No, I didn't see the wild boar. I don't even know how to respond to that. That is the that is the, the most intense journey you've ever taken us on. Okay, George is on his way back in the house. Okay. Near the cacophony of insanity that this movie ends with. Okay. And he looks up in the window and he sees the eyes. He does see the eyes. It's a wild boar. Uh, Gotcha. 
It is a wild boar. If you look at it, it's it's like clearly a wild boar. It actually not only looks like a wild boar, but it looks like someone has just sort of crappily put a still shot of a wild boar in the window. <laughs> Hence the wild boar. It's a wild boar problem that they have had in this house. And it explains every single problem. Can't wild you- boars burrowed under the house, created a den, and problems ensued. Can't you make it more demonic so it's like a pig man or something? Well, it's just a wild boar. There's nothing supernatural going on here. You know, I can tell supernatural from a bad clam, Wes. (laughs) (laughs) The exterminators have been my home. And I need that now. And the Lutzes, they need that now. Oh, my God. I'm just imagining the priests who are all exterminators having this conversation about, like, there's no wild boar infestation. Yes, there is. There is a fly infestation, sort of. Yeah, there is a fly infestation. But that's all because of the wild boars. (laughs) Yes, it's a pig. Jody the pig. Is it actually? Yeah, it's a pig. That's That's, funny. Yeah, I'm sorry I took us all off into the weeds about the wild boar thing, but it does explain the whole movie if you hinge on the wild boar in the window like I did. It has become the focal point, I feel. Yeah. You now, might have made it the focal point. Sorry about that. <laughs> you might be on to something. Yeah, what is this movie even about anyway? Um, just the folly of youth-ish, because they've already had ch- children and been married a bit, I'm, I'm sure, together a bit before they got married. The Lutz has moved into this house. Not sight unseen. They knew the history of it. I've often wanted to look at listings of murder houses, and I've stopped myself from calling up realtors and realtor friends and being like, how do I go about buying a murder house do you got any houses that are like half price because mm-hmm. i'll buy it i'll live in a murder house easy i grew up in a murder house yeah. all about it. it's fine well i mean you know in this economy you might need a murder house you're telling me they bought this house for eighty thousand dollars in the 70s uh that works out to Day's money as three hundred seventy nine thousand dollars nine hundred ninety eight cents so like a almost a four hundred thousand dollar house mm-hmm which is sort of like that's still a steal for the house that they've got. Yeah, it seems it, that doesn't seem that good of a deal. But when you factor in the property, when you factor in, it's got uh, an extra house for it's got it's got essentially a, a place that you could build into a, a guest house if you wanted to, and it has a place for your boat. I mean, it's, it's fucking it's it's got a fucking waterfront. You know what I mean? So it, it, it definitely is would be a house that you would expect to command a hell of a lot more money than it does. But, of course, just a year previous, this is not a, a murder that has occurred many years ago. This is still in, in uh, the hearts and minds of, of the townspeople. This murder is only a, a year old. In the hearts and minds of the entire city to the point that you're almost expecting the real estate agent to go blathering about this because she looks on edge. She's kind of spooked out of the house too by a cool breeze. Do you feel, I, this is the impression that I get because in, in the, 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 despite Lydia's fan theory, there is supernatural things afoot in this house. Do you feel that the realtor is aware of this dark presence within the house because she seems squirrely like she's trying to get through 
the the showing as quickly as possible. She is sort of she's doing the realtor thing, which is not uncommon. About you know, it's a real fixer upper, and look how great this kitchen is. Everything works, and but she's just kind of rolling through it really, really fast. And even this idea of. We need to look around the house. We need to get the lay. We got the lay of the land. We want to look around the house ourselves and sort of talk about it. She doesn't even really seem that pleased at the idea that they want to wait around in the house. And even afterwards, she is. Think I'm going to be in the kitchen because no one was killed there. Yeah, no one was killed in the fucking kitchen. And even after they agree to take the house, she is just rushing them out and don't worry about anything. I'm going to take care of all the details and you just get ready to move. And then she's sitting in the kitchen for all of fucking two minutes and the second a breeze hits she is out of there yeah any normal person who doesn't think that the house is an evil house would just be oh a breeze and just continue without her work but she is no my calculator is going in my bag i'm zipping everything up and i'm out of here yeah yeah i'd be on edge too but it seems that in this film women are really sensitive to whatever it is that is the disturbance in this house. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely seems to be the case. But they're not the only person that's sensitive in it because what we learn about... I don't know, George, who's Kathleen, I thought so. What we learn about Kathleen and George, more Kathleen than anything, is she's a devoutly religious person. Ridiculously religious. Ridiculously, but she's so cute. Can we just give her a break? Oh, my God. Okay, yes, we can give her a break and we can spend four minutes being like Margot Kidder. Oh my god. Oh my god. She uh, so her portrayal of Kathleen, I don't know how accurate any of this is, but I mean, oh my god. Not only is obviously Margot Kidder an absolutely stunningly beautiful woman, but she's just so fucking charming in this role. So sweet, such a, you know, we've gone we you know, we talked about it in pet cemeteries was like parents that don't really seem very present and stuff like that in a relationship that we don't quite understand, but I mean, Margot Kidder is so great in this. The yeah. outfits the outfits really warm my heart. Her hair, even though at the beginning it's kind of all over the place, she tames it quickly and does little matching pigtails, and it works for her. And yeah. then later on, she seems to have grown up into her almost like sleuthing journalist look with the big glasses, and her hair looks a lot better with that, you know, kind of ferrofocity look. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really enjoy her performance here, and it just reminded me of, like, what a crazy life she had afterward. Like, a, like, no pun intended with the crazy mm-hmm. because she spent time in and out of facilities and had mm-hmm. so many therapies and just so much tragedy really around mm-hmm. her. What an unbelievably wild little life she had, but she sure started out with a bang. She really, really did not only uh, really getting into people's hearts, horror fans hearts with obviously her portrayal as uh, Kathleen Lutz. And then of course, obviously her portrayal in black Christmas is, is so iconic and big to horror fans or Lois Lane or Lois Lane. That's the thing. I was like, I was, I was keeping in the realm of horror. And then I was going to say not to mention being what most people consider to be the definitive portrayal uh, of Lois Lane. Yeah, entirely. What a face though. I really, really enjoyed this. And yeah, really the polar opposite of the last film that we had watched where Crosby didn't seem present, didn't seem attached, didn't seem like a parent, didn't seem like a wife, but, uh, 
and none of those people really connected very well in this film. In this, quite the opposite. You believe that she's a mother. She yeah. believe that she's a devoted wife. You believe so much about her. You even believe that she's a devout Christian, which doesn't yeah. seem to really jive with this free wheel and love and seventies bullcrap. She she definitely seems to to be. You know, there's a lot of people, and they they tackle this. 70s take on Catholicism, I think pretty well. Mm-hmm. This idea of uh, being modernist, but at the same time trying to. Th- this was, a, this was a, you know, the United States in this era was. The 70s was a time of a lot of heavy change. And even if you just look at horror, the type of horror that was coming uh, out was lots of indictments of the church some things like the omen and the exorcist and even going to the early 60s uh, you know rosemary's baby these films coming out that were alice sweet alice there are there are tons of films that were coming out that were scathing indictments of of what we considered to be uh, the the power structure of, of like you were a devout Catholic or you know whatever Protestant you were a religious person and these the the church was uh, this unimpeachable thing and and you know but we were in a place where we're like how can we keep the superstition of religion going in a world that is quickly changing and becoming more modern we can't just keep pointing our fingers and shouting the devil and and when people are are it's it's almost you would mock people who were still believing in like the roots of Catholicism in those days, because it just, the the modern world has kind of shone a light to that and made it seem silly and archaic and old fashioned and out of date. And, and, you know, after the hippie movement and like the, the modern couple living, this is a modern couple. This is, this is a woman who has gotten married with three children from a previous uh, uh, relationship or whatever, who knows, right? Like, who's to say that she was even married, right? All we know is that she had three kids, and uh, and uh, George uh, married her. And even there is some comment in this film about like, what were you doing? You got married to uh, some dame with three kids already. He switched religions. Yeah, like I don't know what he would have been before the last name, like Lutz. It's hard to say. I mean, he could have been he he could have been anything. He could have he could have been uh, atheist, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't really put a whole hell of a lot of stock into it until later on in the film. But the, but the my my point being is, is that it seems that Kathleen very much is a devout uh, a Christian and would. Uh, would be incorporating that probably harder in her later life because if she were to have three children already uh, she either was previously married uh, and that stuck with like a lot of her traditional values or she just had three three kids and so she maybe that is uh and she's still so young to be a woman of loose morals at that point. Like. Yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. so, and and you know, brazen hussy. <laughs> come on now, it's, she's too charming and sweet. I, I listen. If three kids came with uh, Margot Kidder in this film, I would marry her. Yeah, it's like no fucking question. Absolutely, and she's a bit of a renaissance woman in my opinion. Like she's sleuthing. She's an artist. She's clearly a former dancer. She, you know. Flower in her hair, ballerina, sexy, nurturing. She's got it all, Lids. Yep, she does got it all. Uh, George, not so much. He's <laughs> just a big lunk. He, if you were blonde, I'd say he's a Barney Rubble, but he's worse than a Barney Rubble. I don't know what he is. He's a he's Neolithic. I don't know what. It's true, wrong. and and 
he really looks like he's strung out on something. I mean, obviously, there's a Anger. Dark... He's strung out on anger. Yeah. But he doesn't know it yet. I'm sure there's a soft side to him. She wouldn't have married him otherwise. And yeah. he talks her into this house with just houses don't have memories. Yeah, people were murdered here. It's fine. But they, you know, I think that part of her is like, you know what? I have faith in my Christ, God, church, Jesus, whatever the fuck it is. Um, Catholicism. Vatican. Mm-hmm. She has faith in the Vatican. <laughs> yeah, the Vatican. Basically, because that's what it boils down to, that racket. And she uh, has the house blessed. And that is probably going to help, you know, kind of smooth it all over for her. Uh, yeah. I mean, she meant to have the house blessed. Yeah. She called the father whatever his name is. And um, I was a friend of hers. So this is a church she's been involved with for some time. So they wouldn't have had to move too far if she'd been involved with the church for so long. Poor Father Delaney. This guy gets the shaft in this fucking movie as far as I'm concerned. And it is this plot thread that virtually goes nowhere. I don't... And especially if you're expecting some kind of third act, here comes the church now. Good luck with that. I mean, that's why this house, uh, this that's why this film is is fun to me because it's it's so slight and slam against the church, mm-hmm. saying you know whenever somebody of the cloth walks in here, they get scared out immediately. They can't handle it. They're barfing. There's flies. They get burnt. They go blind. Like all these things that happen to these devout Christians, um, nuns, priests, stuff like that, can't handle being in this house, and they're absolutely no help. Absolutely no help whatsoever. It almost seems that it is a bit of a benefit to you mentally and physically to be as at least agnostic as possible. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and, um, and and again, it is a very sly, uh, a far more sly indictment of the church than something as overt as, you know, like The Exorcist. Yeah. But it, again, this is about showing traditional power structures being ineffectual Mm -hmm. and one person who is part of the church but more perhaps enlightened than the rest of the church sounding ironically more traditionalist when far less educated people are just content to put their heads in the sand very very interesting i love that scene and we'll get to it but not before we got to talk about george yeah you're right even before this dark presence you could argue that from the moment he stepped into that house or perhaps even on the property he was starting to be influenced but maybe it's just because margot kidder is just so fucking charming in this movie and so sweet and everything she's doing like the second he says anything He's short with her in any capacity. I want to fucking punch that guy. I was like, what the matter with the... What's the matter with you? Yeah, but she just gives him a hug or a nudge or a kiss and smooths it all over. Man, does she ever. Yeah, she smooths it all over just fine. And I'd like to think, you know, okay, this is uh, supposed to be an idea of opposites attract, right? This yeah. One. He's so hard and gruff and, and big and scary and she's so soft and little and sweet. And, like That's why they work, right? Yeah. And then when they're doing it, yeah. They're doing the, the sex. The sex. Yeah. I'm glad it doesn't go on so long because, I mean, not only is it very strange 70s weird cracked gold mirrors or whatever that look is supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, we had mirrors like that in my house growing up in Alta Vista. They weren't part of the wall, but they were they were definitely there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, very strange little sex scene, but it shows his softer side. It's about yeah. the only point in the movie that shows his softer side. Yeah, that's not the only thing that's going to be soft on him, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, is it really, is it the house, is it his anger, or is it the, the kids being demanding that's ruining his libido? It could be a lot of different things, and that happens to the best of us. It's probably just because it's so cold. Because it's cold in there, Wes. That's one of the first things that he starts noticing. And he seems frustrated by the fact that he's cold. Listen, nobody likes to be cold. You don't like I to be cold. I fucking hate being cold, so I feel for this man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd be shoveling the wood in that fire, too. And, you know, the thing about having a wood stove, Wes? What's that? Is that it warms you twice. You get warmed up while you're chopping all that wood, and then you put it in the fire, and it warms you all Holy over again. Holy fuck, you ain't kidding. If this, there is something so fucking crazy about James Brolin's performance in this film, and I know I'm talking a lot about Margot Kidder's because I love her, but he is great in He's this movie. Really great. Everything. It, it is. It is such a good blend of angry, tired. He's like the ultimate angry, tired dad. The very few times that he sort of snaps out of it, he looks genuinely apologetic and shocked by his own actions. Mm -hmm. There's a point where he is shocked, scared, and everything, and he does it so well. In the face, it's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, When he is the sickest he gets because he gets something like a cold he looks sick um and they're not sure what's wrong with him he's not sure what's wrong with him but he's like pale and gone it looks like he's lost 30 pounds all of a sudden like i don't know how the hell this guy did it but he has such range but when you think about him and remember him you remember this this mean angry wood chopping guy yeah that's what i remember i and just just being mean to to his wife, who I love. I love her. That's I right. I, I know said you it. do. I know you do. <laughs> That's right. I You've said, said I it would. a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it again. Now, it, it seems tense, but fine. Tense, but fine. And that's not unusual. It's a big move. This is, I mean, they are up to their ass in boxes. That's why he can't take any time off from his job. Or, yeah, he, or he's he can't a go to his job. He's, very, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. co-owner of a survey company. So yeah, yeah. that explains the money. Like this house, by the by, the um, true house that still exists in Amityville is, uh, it has a nickname of High Hopes. One of those houses with the names kind of thing. Um, it is going, or in 2016, it was going for $850,000. So what they would have got it for less than half price. So that's crazy. But it still is a big move. I don't know how much money they make. I don't know what money she makes. Probably none. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if she has a job. It's not inconceivable that in the midst of a big move like that, you would give yourself some time off, couple weeks vacation or whatever. uh, Listen, she doesn't have a job for a month and she never talks about her work. So she might just be uh, a homemaker. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, when... Things start to get strange because they uh, they have a they have a young daughter and she has uh, just come up with an imaginary friend. Now I think I tend to think that that has influenced so many other little stories. I've seen so many scenes with little kids talking about their imaginary friends. Yep. Yeah, a lot of uh, Blumhouseian. Yes, style songs. I, I was going to say because I can't truly name them all because there are so fucking 
many. This has just become a recognizable trope yeah. that really comes from here. Now, you could argue the imaginary friend in a lot of other films as well. I mean, e even so much as to talking to people that aren't there, seemingly not there in films going all the way back to like The Innocents and, and stuff like that. There are instances in which these types of stories happen, but so overt. Yeah. In this. And it, and it goes on, on on beats. You could probably almost time them about every 10 minutes. There's a Jody scene. Mm -hmm. The rocking chair rocking by itself is a creepy little scene. There's a lot of really creepy little scenes that have become such tropes in film. Mm -hmm. The phone doesn't seem to be working. And. No, because after Father Delaney has his fly incident, <sighs> he oh tries God. calling them. And I, I don't think they have a proper phone call during the duration of the film. No, no. Phones ring and they disconnect. Uh, they can call people and then static will take things over. Father Delaney feels overwhelmed by this presence of evil and this whisper of get out, a whisper that becomes far more of a command the second time it's uttered. And he gets the fuck out of Dodge, becomes violently ill. And the, the fascinating aspect of this story is those characters, Father Delaney, any of the Lutzes are never in the same scene together. Not once. Even when he's at their home, they have no recollection of or they have no knowledge of him being there because they're all outside playing. You know, the dog's playing in the water and the kids are having a blast. And yeah, he thinks he hears kids upstairs when he first comes in. So he lets himself into the house and goes on upstairs and then sees out the window that they're not even in the house. So, yeah, they don't even know that he's there. It's not even until like, what, a half hour later in the movie when Kathy is talking to the other priest, uh, Father Bolin. Yes, Father Bolin, yeah. I always want to call him Father Brolin after James <laughs> Brolin, but uh, Father Brolin, um, it's not till later that they established that he did come out to the house. She has no idea. She thought that he hadn't even come out to the house because he shows up, has this horrible scene with the flies and the get out and he's scared away by the house and shaken and has like other marks on his body and is ill for days never really fully recovers from this one few minute visit to the house mm -hmm. and we have some introduction to jody and just the house being creepy and weird because we get a lot of exterior shots throughout the whole film of how evil its eyes look um yeah and then we get another Catholic person, a wonderful nun. Just just fucking bouncy and happy. It's their aunt. Helena. I don't think that there's anything wrong with her. The kids seem to hate her. She George pinches, seems to hate she, her. She pinches cheeks. I know, I know. And you can you could swat her away and probably tuck her out of it. But people don't. They just let her be horrible and hate her behind her back. That's a real Christian way to be. That is a, you know what? You're not even joking. That is a very Christian way to be. Disturbing. But she comes over with a geranium. <laughs> of course, a nun would bring a geranium into your house. Um, stinking things. The sap drips. is no good to put on a tabletop. I highly recommend if you have a geranium on a wood tabletop, move it to a stone. Help move it right outside. Yeah. And let it that's die a, in the sun. That's an outside plant. Geraniums are horrible. They smell nice, yes, but get a citronella. Anyway, um, so she comes in, doesn't spend four seconds in the house, and is made ill. She, we almost get to see a priest puking scene earlier, and we almost here get to see a nun puking scene here. But it's more fun because she makes the most horrible retching sounds. 
shielded by the car door. Because I think if they had puking priests and nuns, this movie would have been edited. You think so? Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe for 1979, it was still a bit too much. Mm-hmm. You don't want, you know, grannies fainting in the aisles. My word. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're already having to deal with, like, a freshly married couple that had three children already somehow. But, yeah. yeah um, she doesn't spend very long in the house, and she gives no real explanation for what has gone on. So at this point, Kathy and George are having their own strange occurrences in the house, but not being told by other people that there's even stranger, a stranger presence being felt, especially if him, not so much, but she has a very devout faith in the Catholic church to have these people that are nuns and priests to have been having these really bad reactions to her house, she probably would have reacted a lot sooner. Yeah, no, yeah, and and but and you would just want to shake people and ask why are they and why is nobody talking to each other? Which is a common complaint you have about many many films, and it's really opened my eyes to that fact that there's so many films don't ring true with me because people would talk, and that's the biggest problem i'm seeing yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at least the phone cuts everything out yeah and the house is definitely trying to shut down this communication actively so that's mm -hmm. a plot point now it is it is a, a, a plot point and the house seems to really concentrate its effects on anyone that could theoretically pose a threat to it so people who are involved with the church who would have knowledge of these things mm-hmm. Uh, be mentally equipped, you would hope. Although, even Father Delaney is not equipped to deal with this. No one seems to be equipped to deal with this hideous level of evil. You mean in the toilet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this concentrated evil. I've often been in a situation where my toilet is involved with concentrated evil. It's usually after I eat fast food. Is it quite that black? Like, I still go back to the boars, you know, as a boar infestation. <laughs> but, yeah, the toilet is bubbling up black stuff. George is having wicked insomnia. This is when we start to see that the 315 thing. And I don't know if that was really mentioned. I don't know if they showed that the clock rolled to 315 when they were showing the DeFeo murders. But it that's when it happened, just after 3 in the morning. So that's why he keeps, like, waking up and being disturbed. Um, I'm not sure where the folklore comes from that that the proper witching hour 315 do you know anything about that the proper witching hour i've always understood it to be in and around that time yeah mm-hmm. i've had other people tell me that no it's closer to two in in the in the morning but i'm no expert on the actual proper witching hour me either and also this uh, this uh timing certain things happening at certain times of night Usually between 11 and midnight, films like uh, The Conjuring come to mind. That That is present in those films as well. Uh, other haunting films, time seems to uh, play a special importance, particularly if a time is associated to a particular event that happened in this house's history. Um, Maybe it's time zones and it happens, you know, in uh, mountain time at midnight. Mm-hmm. You never know. <laughs> 
with all this toilet nonsense coming on, you have a puking nun. It's it's pandemonium. Best movie ever. Yeah, you got you got a lot of shit going on. So you you could forgive George for being a little short tempered, and he's got the flu, and he's got a cold, and and he's not feeling good. He he's not good. He's not good. But on top of all of that, they got to go to a fucking wedding. Yeah, I know that would piss anyone off and set me right over the edge. That's for sure. Oh, my God. Her little brother's getting married. Kathleen's brother. His eyes are so close together. Yeah, you think he's related to Karen Black or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Either way, he is counting money over and over again, which is probably the neatest little scene in it. Um, When he's counting the money out and it's a soft focus and the fire is roaring in the background and it looks like he's just feeding dollar bills into the fire, (laughs) which is such a neat little juxtaposition because moments later he loses the money and then george has to pay the caterer and george has a a bit of a freak out because he's you know tense very very tense he's really fucking tense now this goes back to what we were talking about with the warrens now if you've ever read the demonologist you'll know that ed warren is fucking out of his mind Mm -hmm. and ed warren has talked about the fact that black magic uh practitioners will use their black magic powers to steal money. So if you have ever in your life lost a large sum of money that you swore was in your pocket or that was in your jacket or wherever the hell you put it, he posits that the reason for that is a black magic uh, practitioner has robbed you because they don't really need to work so that's how they make their living. The thousands of them that he knows. Apparently. The thousands of and the and the hundreds and thousands of documented evidence that he has of this. He guarantees it. Guarantees it, Lydia, that that is what is happening. Yeah, he is Holy a crackpot. Fuck. Yeah. He's a total crackpot. But that explains there's a black magic practitioner, probably the wild boars, cuz we all know they're Satan incarnate. They are. Cloven hooves. Cloven horns. tusks. Yeah. yeah. The noises they make are basically incantations. Yeah, they probably have little robes. Little robes and little candles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pro- probably other boar sacrifices to get things going. No, the only reason why this, this reminds me of this is because the Warrens were involved with Amityville and... Ed Warren has talked about this in the book. So I, I, I always, when I, I saw the scene again, because uh, I, I watched, I'd read the book, I want to say like maybe two years ago, one year ago or something like that. And then earlier this year, I rewatched this film and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is one of his b- b- bits of evidence that he's been talking about. I was like, do you know that one of the Lutzes said that when her brother was over here, he lost money while he was over here and there was no explanation of where it went? Probably evil. Yeah, probably. Good I mean, I, I, the demonologist has been on my reading list for a while. I've never been moved to pick it up. Maybe <laughs> I'll find it. i get it through the library or something. Uh, I'm much more a, a bigger fan of Hans Holzer, so I'd rather read his and his daughter's work, Andrea Holzer. Mm-hmm. And he was involved in this story as well. He was one of the parapsychologists called out to investigate the house. Didn't find anything, apparently. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, George really... I I feel the worst for the caterer uh, in this whole situation. (laughs) The reason why I feel the worst for the caterer is because he is trying to make his point that, listen, man, I don't take checks. I only take cash. And the reason why 
I don't take checks is because checks bounce and they get canceled and then I don't have any money and I've provided a service and blah, blah, blah. And George basically threatens him. And what happens? The check fucking bounces. check bounces. Yeah. Which is great. Which is great. But it's all George's fault because he's been chopping wood for how many days? What day is it? What Thursday. Day? Thursday. They're wow. They paid yesterday. Yeah. Now, he does have some friends that will come and visit. Now, it's not... It's friend and also business partner. Which is was probably a friend before this particular week. He's not signing the fucking checks. No one's getting paid. Like, the IRS is up their fucking ass. All George is doing is chopping wood. Just, and there's two really cool scenes of, you know, that tension of you're approaching somebody, maybe angrily, who's chopping wood with an axe and is clearly out of their fucking mind. Holy shit. There's nothing about... He is sitting there sharpening an axe like a murderer. Yeah. And he is hunched over it. His hair is wild. His beard is out of control. His eyes are completely bloodshot. It's He's got red and dark circles around his eyes. He looks pale. The pupils look like two piss holes in the snow. Yeah. He looks like shit. And he looks enraged. And- he, yeah. And, and and when his friend rightfully is explaining to him, that's like, listen, man. I brought the payroll. You need to sign it. Yeah. I promised the guys I would hand deliver these to you so your employees can get paid. Just taking care of life, man. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that this guy is more of a friend as well because he does come back again. He does come back so. again. But the only thing that seems to make George happy is I got a light for your boat. Come on. I'll put it on for you. And, and it sort of clears him out of this fugue because he's yeah. obviously in a fugue state. And I think that's part yeah. of what smooths it over with his friend is like, George is not himself. Yeah, you just got to offer him something. Not before he takes three steps back and hurls this fucking axe into a tree. I could see you doing axe throwing. You ever go axe throwing? Yeah, I'm actually, I talked about this with a friend of mine yesterday. I'm actually quite good at throwing axes and throwing knives. Um I think I'd started learning how to do it by the time I was three or four. My dad was freakishly good at it. And we used to uh, throw knives into the ground. And I think when you got a certain number in a row, then you could graduate to trying to throw knives and stuff into a wood board. And so all of us, we all did it all the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm quite good. Yeah, my cousin had some throwing knives that I got to play with for a while. And that's, that was the natural progression from throwing just regular knives around. Mm-hmm. Maybe we shouldn't throw knives around, Wes. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe but yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I even have a really nice throwing axe. It's a solid piece of uh, steel. It's all curved. It's beautiful. It's like a tomahawk. It's, it's gorgeous. That's cool. That is super cool. Yeah. Because huh. I could totally see that. This sort of axe, though, <laughs> this is probably like a 40 pound. It's almost like a, the size of a 50 pound sledge. It's massive. It's, it's, massive. it's massive. It is It is an axe intended for chopping wood and nothing else. And, and I mean, it is intended to chop heavy logs. It is. Like it is a wedge axe, and it's double-sided. Yeah. It's a gorgeous axe, really, but heavy as shit, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's definitely one of those axes, you take care of that, that axe is going to last you, right? But, I think James Brolin actually did that axe throw. I don't know, because the cut. The yeah, cut could right? be, you know, that was not one cut, so I don't know. But it would be fucking super cool. But again, it, it feeds into this um, mythos of just uh, George just being like this very manly guy, right? He's he's got a boat. He probably he fixes things, and he just seems he owns a business. Like he is just like a, a dude that has this traditional 
uh, aura of support and strength and you know you don't get a lot of tenderness from me but that's just because i'm a fucking manly man look at my beard that's 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 him right yeah so shit's gonna hit the fan or actually windowsill's gonna hit fingers because as these boys are bugging their sister like it's some kind of fucking like commercial from the 90s selling creepy crawlers they have a spider on <laughs> fishing line, fishing line. I like that it doesn't scare Amy at all. It doesn't scare her. She's just like, stop teasing me. Like, she doesn't like, give a shit. She's having an argument with her dolls. She's pr- probably sending up her dolls in a recreation of the night of the DeFeo murders. <laughs> like, probably. <laughs> probably. And because and, she's really reading them the riot act. Yeah, she's swearing and stuff. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it was hilarious. It's actually a hilarious little scene, except for the dumb shit brothers, which I'm glad those kids don't have any lines. Yeah, they're not really... Matt and Greg or something. Who even cares? Ay-yay-yay. Annoying-looking little kids. Yeah, they're they're, they're only reason to exist is a holler and whine. It's like the kid from the Babadook. Picture two of them. Yeah. Pretty much. Actually, like, the kid from the Babadook is way worse. I think, like, those two kids probably merged into one being and became the kid from the, the uh, Babadook. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's like, you think each of us are annoying individually. We will we will combine, like, a very obnoxious Voltron. What I don't get is where this, like, don't you think it's weird that his fingers weren't broken? And it's like, no, it's not fucking weird. Who cares about his fingers not being broken? Yeah. If that's what you're going to hinge on that's fucking weird, mm. I mean, take a look at Sh- Chili McShiver there who's been feeding firewood into this fucking place it's probably 85 degrees in the house that's something that i can't cotton i i I can't understand how nobody is complaining about how hot this fucking room probably is probably he is not letting that fire die for a second the logs haven't even finished burning and he's throwing more on yeah yeah. It's absolutely insane. No one notices that, but isn't it weird that his fingers weren't broken? No, it's not fucking weird. He's a kid. He's made of rubber, whatever. There's blood everywhere. Aren't you happy with that? Yeah. I was happy with that. Yeah, it's actually really fascinating. And also this window. This window opening and closing and not being able to be opened. And now this room is full of flies. This room in particular seems to be quite a, a, a manifestation of fuckery. Yeah, which no real explanation is given. No, because people were killed in in multiple rooms of the house. There doesn't seem to be any... You would think that the attic would be the scariest because that's where the eyes are, right? Yeah. That's where the windows to its soul. It's black evil soul filled with like wild boars and that is where the evil is supposed to live. But it's sort of a rip-off that way. I always felt it was a bit of a rip-off in the, in the movie anyway. But I like that in the uh, actual story apparently the the beds from the DeFeo murders remained in the house. So seeing little snippets here of bed frames and bed springs and stuff like that just randomly around this house that clearly don't belong to the Lutz family uh, always kind of tickle me. Mm. Like only a murder house bed frame could. <laughs> But yeah, this the window thing. Jody apparently goes out the window at one point, yeah. and Kathy sees glowing red eyes. She does. Could just been a cat though, or a wild boar. But no, 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 not up on the second story like that. That's crazy talk. But yeah, it takes like what four grown men can't open this window, and ten minutes later, George walks in just to test it from his own curiosity, undoes the latch like butter, and slides it up. Without mm-hmm. a sound, and it opens just fine. Well, I mean, the babysitter couldn't get out of a, a closet door that has no lock on it whatsoever. Wow, better call a priest. Holy shit. They'd love to, except their fucking phone doesn't work. Father Delaney, by the way, 
is is trying to do whatever he's trying to do, getting the trying to get the church in involved. In now, one of the most fiery scenes that barely belongs in this film. It almost seems like it's from an entirely different film. I absolutely fucking love this. Rod Steiger is the guy that plays Father Delaney, and he really is acting his ass off in this fucking movie. He is in one scene. He goes from the peak of fiery rage to pleading, pleading in tears. It's great. It's, it's absolutely really great. great. And and in a, in a way, you, like just as listen, as someone who uh, you know had a lot of religious people in his family, there is something that really gets me when I'm faced with like sanctimonious fucking looks on priest's face, where they're just that one dude that's like almost like tilting his head so far up to look down on this guy who and and this other person raging out i think he's the fucking mayor in jaws which makes me hate him even more but fucking uh like you questioning the church and that's what they're hinging on is that you're questioning the church because uh, uh, so for those of you who aren't aware generally speaking when you have to deal with demonic possession of a place or a person, you need the Vatican's approval to do it. Yeah. You can't just go in and do it. You need... There's no freelance exorcists in the Catholic Church. No, there's not. And so what he, Father Delaney is really asking is for the church to either send somebody to do this or to allow him to help this family. There is a family that needs help. And they're sitting there trying to say... Everything that you have said from you're feeling ill to hearing things just sounds like hysteria to us. And, oh, you guys said that you lost control of your vehicle. And even his fucking little number two, uh, Bolin, is not helping at all. No, but he's being factual and he's being honest. That's all he's being. Mm -hmm. He He does sort of understand where Delaney's coming from, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he can see where the church is coming from. So he's just being Switzerland. You know? Yeah, you can't blame him for that. I uh, yeah, I guess I I kind of listen. It works out better for him that he is this way. Yeah, because Father Delaney is going to get raked through the fucking coals. Not only is he basically going to be uh, completely ignored by the church itself, uh, he is going to eventually pay a pretty heavy price for trying to help and that probably comes from the fact that you know he is a, a, a he is a, a priest but people who deal with demons within the vatican are very specific you need to specifically be trained to do that assuming of course all of this is real i'm working under that uh idea right at this juncture so he is just not equipped to deal with demons and it will be proven that he's not equipped to deal with the forces of hell uh but this goes back to the fact that the family has really no idea that he's doing any of this no even he even tries like sort of a remote blessing and that backfires quite quite wonderfully yeah. and spells his end but at, at this point no they're not aware and they're also not aware that the the cops this is so fresh in their mind in the entire town that when they have a really poltergeist activity disturbance in their house not long after this that the cops start becoming unbearably suspicious like a totally inexplicably suspicious of the lutz family which is just fucking strange to me uh so enter the other 
subplot of this movie that really kind of goes nowhere and happens almost entirely outside of the realm of fucking perception. <laughs> they have a poltergeist activity evening where the front door is blasted right off its fucking hinges. Mm-hmm. Even the basement door is blown off, mm-hmm. uh, blown uh, out. out at the very least. They have the fucking police show up. It's as if a wild boar had powered its way up the stairs with incredible speed and power and blasted through the basement door and then blasted through the front door. You might be onto something. A big enough boar could do it. A big enough boar could do it, I think. And if it was moving fast enough, if it was black enough, we might not have even seen it. Yeah, that's true. But the police basically just say, we don't know what happened, but no one broke in here. And I guess we'll just keep a tighter watch on your house. That sentence is is interesting to me because a tighter watch on my house. Were you watching the house already? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know. And it's basically just one cop who's real suspicious. Yeah, so it's like, just this hey, sergeant. related to the people that lived here before? And he's like, no. And he's like, oh. Well, he, it's, it's because George really bears a striking resemblance to one of the family members. Yeah, the only living family member. Hmm. And that's echoed a couple of times in the movie. The bartender drops his fucking drinks that he's trying to serve because he looks so much like him. Mm-hmm. So his friend uh, Jeff and his wife Carolyn, they, I mean, Carolyn herself is super sensitive to this house. More sensitive than anyone aside from a little bit of her flakiness i can get behind this i've seen my friend kelly grew up in a church that had been uh, deconsecrated and rebuilt as a wonderful home and she used to tell people to like show them the basement she'd be like oh yeah come down the basement you gotta check this out we got like a door that goes right through and it's a great big door it's really cool and you go down in the basement and she'd just wait and watch people do this if you were total lunkhead i guess you just mosey on through the basement and just like not notice a thing but a lot of people and most of the time she could call who would be sensitive to this would walk down the basement and walk to a certain point and then just freeze and not sort of know why and you'd hit a cold spot or just be like all of a sudden kind of creeped out it's like we would just dawn on you halfway through the basement that whoa this is a creepy basement and you'd stop and you'd look around and you'd like wonder and you'd look around the floor and like look i saw people do this myself too when she used to do it to almost everybody just be like come on follow me through the basement and she'd just walk across the floor and people would walk to a certain point and stop where on the floor there was a outline probably about eight feet by four feet and it was just sort of like noticeable that something had been there, that it was a large structure about that size. And that's where they took out the furnace. And I put that in scare quotes because it should scare people because this furnace was about the size of a crematorium. Mm-hmm. And they were hooked up sort of like a crematorium. And the way the chimney went was remarkably similar to a crematorium. And it was probably a crematorium. Yeah. And it would just, like, it was a weird thing. It was a cold spot. It was a weird thing that people would just suddenly feel very freaked out. And it was neat to her to watch people be sensitive to this. So I don't know if it was, like, the mass amounts of bodies being burnt there. And we're not even really sure if it was a crematorium, but we're pretty fucking sure, right? Pretty sure. I saw the the furnace, quote unquote, that they pulled out of there because it was in the field in the back behind the house. It was probably a crematorium. Yeah. Yeah, but 
you know, she is so sensitive. She won't even walk up the driveway. Yeah, she won't even walk up the driveway. And later on, when George becomes a library thief. Yeah. Starts fucking stealing stuff. Well, we were talking about this. Like, why wouldn't he just go and get a membership to his local public library? I'm a big proponent of having memberships to the local public library where you can go and borrow a copy of Night Face or Pray Lighty. Even if they don't have them, go ahead and request them. Because <laughs> you can do that. Uh, you wield power with that little plastic card. But no, nah, he doesn't even bother. He goes and picks out what is probably the coolest fucking book on demonology in the whole fucking town and sticks it in his pants. He does stick it in his pants. Uh, and he also grabs, I think, blueprints or something. He has blueprints of the house mm-hmm. yeah, that he grabs first at City Hall. Mm-hmm. And then he, which he is entitled to and probably paid for. And then he goes to the library and steals a book. I already hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a pretty cool looking book. And of course, Carolyn just pounces on that, which is required reading as a uh, 1979 free loving hippie dippy chick. You know that currently that Mercury is in retrograde. Isn't it always? <laughs> Me and Chris were talking about this. Like every fucking day, it seems somebody's like, oh, Mercury's in retrograde. Does it ever come out of a retrograde? Like, oh my God. I know I understand how Mercury works, but it just seems that everyone blames Mercury in retrograde. And to the point that I really want like a Mercury retrograde calendar. So that when someone's like, Mercury's in retrograde, I'm going to be like, no, it's fucking not. Yeah, it's weird. But she is sensitive to things. She knows things. Lydia. That's all that she has to say to her husband for him to give her the fucking benefit of the doubt and Holy let her shit. walk through her friend's house unannounced, basically, because they're there to pick up the children because they have decided George needs a fucking break. Yeah. So as good friends, what we're going to do, I'm going to let you punch me out at the bar. Yeah. And then we're going to be able to talk about this like men. Yeah. That's how men talk, Lids. Yeah. And women don't talk because no. he tells his wife to shut up. Up. Yeah. And then she says, stop being such a rationalist. Yeah. Stop being that rational. Puts him in his place. Really puts him in his She's place. She's sensitive. She is. What a fucking mess of a scene, really, when you think about it. Uh, and I'm not even going to, like, admonish it for being, like, yelling at women and stay barefoot and pregnant bitch kind of attitude that these men have. And the let's punch each other out so that we can talk properly over beer. The way we're supposed to. Yeah, you just wait till uh, Chris gets here, and that's what it's going to be. Just me and him slugging beers and punching each other out. Yeah, sure thing it will be. You guys in your purses. <laughs> Whatever. I keep a lot of important Blu-rays in there. <laughs> Anyhow. So... They go back to the house to collect the children because the idea is that you guys need a fucking break. So we're going to grab the kids. We're going to babysit the kids for a while. You go out for dinner. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about this. We're going to try and do some math here because the business is failing. Your marriage is failing. Your mental health is failing. What we need to do this is like basically an intervention before interventions existed mm-hmm. um, because George just needs a break. So they go back to the house and Carolyn is on a mission. She wants to go in the basement because that is where the source of it is. This is where it gets in. This mm. is where it comes and goes. This is where the bodies are? The bodies are because this house was built on top of the Ketchum house, which is a fancy name. I'm sure Jack Ketchum would have really appreciated that mm-hmm. if he didn't take his name from that, like his pseudonym. Now, when they were sitting down at the Witch's Brew, which is the name of the bar they were hanging out at, reading this book on demonology, how fitting. I know, right? And that is January is just unfair, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But 
Carolyn has figured out that this was on a Shinnecock Indian burial ground. Uh, is, isn't every evil house... Not even a burial ground. It was sort of like a... What do you call that when you have like... Um, a hospital that is for the dying. Back in the day, they used to just, like, send all the people measles to this one little hospital and let them all die. Oh, I don't know. Quarantine? Well, I mean, quarantine is what you do to people that have those, but... It was like a quarantine hospital. Like, they used to put people on islands. Oh, they yeah, 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 do it yeah, in Montreal, yeah. just send all the dying people to a fucking island and let them all die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a place in one of the uh, uh, Staten Island or one of the places in New York. Yeah. There's there was an old rundown hospital where all those uh, Cropsey uh, legends sprung up from. The Royal used to be like a hospital like that here too in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun stuff. So this was the uh, more ancient equivalent to that, where these Shinnecock Indians used to said they're dead and dying here, and it was sort of a burial ground for the infected, which is uh, a wonderful setup that isn't really exploited quite as well as it could have been in this story, but it's fun. It is fun. It doesn't and- explain the wild boars, but it's fun. <laughs> the wild boars it also doesn't really give you anything narratively speaking other than the fact that oh it's just evil it's concentrated evil that is what this black tar is and he fucking smashes through everything caroline just starts doing it on her own and then when george comes downstairs what are you doing in my house he's very easily convinced to fucking do it Kathleen goes through there. And what do they find in that chimney? A red room. Nothing else, though. And they seem horrified by it. Well, one thing that George does see is a visage of himself. Mm. Sort of like uh, the specter of York or something. Like I don't know what he's looking at. It's Ron. That's what I think that's what it is. Everyone's been talking so much that he looks like this person. And I think he's seeing... The person who he is becoming, the person that Kathleen is eventually going to fear that George has become another person that's going to kill his family. Not unlike The Shining. Hmm. True, true. Uh, while they're stealing books from libraries, punching each other out, being general assholes to one another, uh, Kathy was at a library of her own oh, on man. a microfiche. Oh, my God. She's in full Lois Lane mode. She's got glasses. I was like, has she worn those yet? I think she has a tweed blazer. Yeah, yeah. She's And she, she's got a a, bra- a a brown, like, detective's coat on or some shit like that. Yeah, and knee-high knee high leather, brown, brown leather boots. I mean, that's all you need. That's basically the outfit. Yeah, and, and then you're allowed to touch microfiche. Pretty much. That is like, you know, you can pay all the money in the world and have all the cotton gloves you need, but no, you need to have this particular outfit. You would need a brown turtleneck. I could I could make that happen. Brown brown turtleneck, you say. Brown I could turtleneck. T- a corduroy hat wouldn't hurt. A corduroy hat. And, and, and they both seem at their wit's end. They've tried to do this together. They've tried to be a united front. I mean, they've gone through the house uttering uh, prayers. They've been yeah. trying to bless every room. This is what I remember from the documentary. They did, They definitely did that. Um, Have you well, ever had a house blessed? N- I think not, no. We've had uh, objects blessed. 
uh, rosaries and stuff like that. But I don't think that, uh, to my knowledge, now it could have have been blessed at some point. And I just have no knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I don't think so. It seems to be uh, a very superstitious practice. Just getting anything really blessed. I mean, sorry guys, but oh, it, no, but, I totally agree with you. And I like I have friends who've had family members have houses blessed, and I'm sure that many people within their family would agree that that particular practice is superstitious and almost puts the whole belief system of Catholicism entirely into hoodoo. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Their symbol, their symbol of their faith is uh, turned upside down to a cross of uh, St. Peter, which is, um, it's kind of a misinterpreted symbol. I know what they're getting at with, with things like this, the upside down cross. It's been blackened. By we'll say evil, uh, or black metal. Black metal. Yeah, it is. It is not shiny and chrome anymore. It's upside down and, and completely blackened. And they try to use that cross to um, to bless every room. The the the, the cross of Saint Peter sometimes can be misinterpreted as a satanic symbol uh, when traditionally in Catholic lore uh, it was more of a, a cross of piety because Saint Peter. Uh, didn't see fit to be crucified, to, to, to be crucified the same time as Christ. So I get it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Because um, the message is clear. This is this is an insult to your faith, and it's mocking them. And this is an interesting scene, and the reason why I want to bring it up, because they kind of, they kind of go back to this a little bit, but they don't really ever address it. But uh, Kathleen erupts in boils. Yeah, yeah. And isn't there a point when... He is sort of stalking around the house, enraged, and likely possessed, and she looks aged, yeah. about 45 years. Yeah, yeah, she does. And I don't know, I, I, I guess in a way you could say what this evil is doing is affecting them in very different ways. Yes. This seems to be really attacking her vanity of her beauty. She's a very beautiful woman, and it's like, look, you're erupting into boils because she is mortified by her appearance. Like, don't look at me. And this is where they become divided. This is where she's off getting microfiche and afterwards, and this is where he's off like getting blueprints and like talking to Jeff and Caroline and trying to uh, get whatever's going on. Carolyn fucking gets possessed and she starts screeching in someone else's voice. Yeah. Screeching, find a well. It is the passage to hell. Cover it. Which sounds like a warning. Um, You would think that the house that wants to say get out wants to be left alone with its passage to hell. It shouldn't be telling people where its passage to hell is and what to do about it. But they don't find a well. They don't find a well, technically speaking, unless you dig into the earth because there is essentially like, like a, an artesian well. Yeah, yeah. Cesspool of this fucking concentrated evil. It could easily be something about the fact that, and we hear about this in many severely haunted places, there are good spirits within the house that are forever trapped in there, victims of the various murders because there's probably been more than one on this property that, uh, you know, Jody would be technically not necessarily a malevolent spirit. It could technically be a good spirit of a kid that died there. Mm-hmm. And even Amy will articulate almost as much because let's just play. So the, the, it's almost like this frozen child. So in, in demonology and, and any sort of spirituality, it's kind of understood that 
when you have this concentration of positive spirits or any sort of dead, anything that is a, a barrier between the world of the living and the world of the dead, things that have never been alive that are concentrated evil demons and the such demons, devils, two different entities, but still kind of the same will tr- attempt to cross over that way. Cause it's like a magnet Ex- drawing and those sorts of forces and powers Ex- and energies. Exactly. So this could even be a warning from Ron himself, who is the face that George saw. And he's saying he succumbed to this evil. He killed everyone there, but I mean, he's not dead, but maybe his essence or spirit is still there. Whatever is left of him is in that house and probably will be forever there. Um, it could even be him attempting to warn or some spirit attempting to warn that this is a well you need to cover it up. They've opened it and things are going to get much worse because of it. Which in my memory always gets much, 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 much worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, wild boars included. Because um, <laughs> I, I swear, every time I watch this, I'm like, I'm, 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 was there a scene cut where the wild boar runs through the house? Like, <laughs> I always expect to be there to be more wild boar. And I'm not even kidding. I'm not even going back to my made-up theory here. Uh, I tend to remember a lot more insanity and a lot more... Um, of the house, this cacophony of fucked upness that, that drives them from the house ultimately. But at this point, Carolyn is just speaking with another demonic voice, and everyone's very scared. The dog has been scrabbling at the walls to the point that it's broken his little dog claws and everything. So it's just established that this place is too fucked up so carolyn and jeff just leave yeah there's no real co- like it's it, they're done and that's that's one plot thread that's just kind of that's it's done yeah they just leave i guess the whole plan was for them to take the children you kind of should have maybe yeah take the children get like you're gonna take kathleen out get her gussied up you're going out on the town and he's like yeah all right because i mean kathleen is just like in her pajamas like crying all the time at this point now (laughs) and i mean things have really come to a head between the two of them because it's gonna get to the point in which like you know he's gonna fucking smack her in the face and and like it's just the even the like in less than a month this has just destroyed their lives destroyed their abs their 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 lives in any sense of happiness that they could possibly have um it's going to destroy something else. Father Delaney's fucking eyesight. Yeah, he tries to have this almost like remote blessing uh, mm-hmm. to the best of his ability, not being an exorcist, right? So he's doing yeah. some some rites of blessing remotely with them in mind, mm-hmm. which, you know, makes sense. It makes sense in a ritual point because he is the bridge between their situation and his plea, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that doesn't work. The holy shit, it goes totally sideways. And he is, by the end of the film, he is just broken. He is a broken man. He is blind. He did not help uh, uh, Bolin. He's lost his faith probably entirely. Oh, probably everything. He, he's, he's almost uh, like catatonic. Yeah. Just sitting in a park while Bolin uh, tries to... Like, want me to read you letters? You, how about we arrange to have lunch here? Like, talking to him like he's this enfeebled old man, as opposed to a person who is, you know, dedicated his life to the church, who was someone that uh, Bolin, who was a much younger priest, probably uh, newly anointed. I mean, he was a veteran in the Vietnam War, and he's a mechanic, and he's uh, 
He's not your everyday priest. He represents this new guard of priests that are coming in, even though at his at, probably in his youth, Father Delaney with his uh, psychology degree probably seemed very unorthodox and probably mm-hmm. seemed quite the... Um, a revolutionary within within his day, but now he seems kind of out of touch. And they paved the way for punk rock musicians to be priests now too, but uh, <laughs> and married women and stuff, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Uh, but this just goes to show in the world of Amityville that this movie is the church does absolutely nothing and nothing. can be crushed like a fly. Crushed like a fly when they he even attempts to challenge this evil entity. Uh, he is punished severely for it mm-hmm. by his sight being taken away. Meanwhile, this cop that we just keep cutting to throughout the film that's just been watching the house follows up because uh, Kathleen tries to go literally to Father Delaney, but Bolin says, like, oh, he's... Don't worry about it. It's not even like, let me level with you. It's like, I've been dealing with him for the last month and he's been obsessed with your family and your situation and now he's blind and disgraced no instead his answer is it's out of my hands which is no answer at all and the uh, conversation that he has subsequently with the cop is also a non-conversation as well yeah like they don't actually even have conversations which doesn't help because they do have conversations in the book yeah yeah yeah. it's fucking crazy the cop is just like oh maybe it is just a wild goose chase yeah and and, and, what is a wild goose chase say what you're talking about buddy yeah yeah because he was like well i know father delaney and like you know what's happened is really shocking and i just want to know what what, if like what my gut is telling me what is your gut telling you what are you talking about and even bolin is really dismissive he's like if you don't mind i got a lot of work to do so (laughs) i was like don't what do you do what do you do? Like, what are you going to pray? That's your work you got to do? Fuck off. Like, you don't have anything to do. It's like the stupid nun is playing basketball with children. Like, you're doing nothing. And you can't give... It's, correction. The nun is killing it. <laughs> playing basketball. It's like Sister Act over there. She's just schooling these kids. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah. Um, meanwhile, there's actual shit going on in the Lutz house. Holy crap, is there ever. Now, I don't know where or how far... Uh, Margot Kidder had to go, but it is long enough that she needs to fucking drive and it starts getting to dusk and it will not be until night by the time she gets back to the house. Meanwhile, George is cooking up an apparatus. What the fuck do you think he's doing? He's bearing down. He's battening down the hatches. He know- could have went all the way to Salt Lake City. They have a massive microfiche library at the Church of Latter-day Saints. Oh, there. maybe so that's She could have driven is. a very far way away. She reads up on the murder and doesn't get it uh, doesn't know where uh anything where father delaney is and so she is heading back uh in their van and it seems to be that what george is doing is nailing windows shut and digging uh digging a hole and strapping things down and what is he up to what's he doing i can tell you what we think he's doing is all that wood chopping is getting ready for some kid chopping Getting ready for some kid chopping. She's already had a dream that he's chopped up her daughter. Probably the most graphic thing in the movie. Probably. Probably. It truly is. And it's quite shocking the way that it's done because it's not like obviously a dream, which is fun. And then she wakes up from the not quite obviously a dream. And even us as a viewer is a little bit relieved that the movie didn't all of a sudden take that hard of a left. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But she is very worried that he's going to chop them all up. Yeah, there's this um, 
this real sense of urgency in this, especially if you're not familiar with the story, you don't know what ends up happening. And it's not clear what George is actually fucking doing. And especially when he gets up to the attic, the kids, wily as they are, have locked themselves. They don't need... They know something is fucking wrong. They've locked themselves in a bathroom, and he is just like, again, like The Shining, he is fucking just axing his way through that door, and they don't really have any recourse. And he's calling out for the young daughter, too, which makes her dream even that much more vivid, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Kathleen is going to essentially jump on his back and try to struggle with them and get thrown to the ground. She has this pleading of like, don't hurt my babies. It's really well delivered, especially it's delivered. She's on the ground. She's rolled away from him. And she's just kind of just saying like, don't hurt my babies. And then it's, he's about to throw the ax down. And that's when she looks like, what do you say? Like 65 years old? Yeah. Or something like, like super that? ancient. Like it's really strange. It's really strange. It's and almost he, like you'd think you don't see it. Yeah, you're like, oh, wait, what's happening? Maybe that's just the way her face looks twisted in a weird way. Like, it's just, you know, skin's bunching up. You're like, no, 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 she's wearing makeup to make it seem like she's old. And it's not like since the boils, there's been this slow degradation of her appearance in which, oh, you're prematurely aging. It's not like Nancy like in in Nightmare where she's got the shock of gray and like, oh, what's happening to you? It's... All of a sudden, the boils are there, the boils are gone. She looks old, she doesn't. And in that moment, you think George might kill her, and, oh, barely, barely does. But then he's then he's acting, I would never hurt. Like he's fine. Yeah. And he's also, I think that that was supposed to drive home to him, uh, although it didn't quite do the job, that this house is fucking with me. Mm-hmm. He has known... He he definitely, especially with the the, the instance of talking to Jeff and, and uh, talking to... Oh, stalking around the house trying to bless it. With yeah. The cross yeah. it was upside down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He definitely knows something is up. But there definitely seems to be moments of, like you said, where he's in this fugue state. Yeah. Where he doesn't really know where he is. He he is on automatic pilot. And perhaps that's where these... What happens when these murders happen. They really don't have an explanation for what they did. There is no motivation because it is this evil presence that is trying to get the the house wants blood. That's what the house wants. It wants more death. And perhaps when it was, this land was first created and it was fed the dead. And then when that practice stopped, it hungered for the dead. And, and so it's like, wait a second, you were feeding me all this death and all this sickness and all this, this shit. And now society is built over top of that. And I don't get the death that I need. I'm starving. I need my death. That's what the Me's house so says. Me so hungry. Me so hungry. Kind of like Jesus, but not in a sacrilegious way. Now, he seems out of it at this point, broken of this spell. And it's time for them to run the fuck out of the house. I love this whole ending sequence. I love... I like the uh, slip, slop, sliding in blood. That's fucking great. I love that that one kid eats shit not once but twice. Yep. <laughs> Escaping the house. And like you would point out, Margot can just go down the stairs in high heels carrying a kid. And this wiener kid can't even make it down there <laughs> properly. That's mom powers right there. I suppose so. Uh, and and they get out of there. Even even uh, with the door slamming shut, 
They managed to get out. George himself still seems kind of entranced. He doesn't look as scared as everyone else does, but he's kind of, that might just be a James Brolin thing. But because even when he's looks his most scared in certain scenes, like, you know, mother of God, I'm coming apart. And that's really more ragey, but I'm really talking about like that haunted fucking look yeah. on his face when they break through that wall or uh, at uh, Carolyn's behest. Yeah. That it, he looks so just scared and just bewildered. Yeah. Bewildered and, is a really good term. Yeah. So he, uh, well, they're out of there. They're in the van. Where's the keys? Thank God they got into the van. Yeah. Cause that, I thought that was going to be a scramble back to the house with the keys. Right? No, no. And we're done. We're out of no, here. They're going to scramble back to the house. Aww. Well, George is going to, which, you know, we are tuned to think in a particular way, send the most vulnerable person back in the house, of course he's going to get possessed and he's going to, like, kill somebody or he's going to die in there, right? Yeah. But, you know, this bucks that trend or it has created a trend that never took off. I'm not sure which. But the young daughter, Amy, says... I don't want to leave without Harry. The dog, Harry, who was scrabbling at the wall, has continued to scrabble at the wall and whine and and just, like, sort of lurk around this well, I suppose it is, because the dog is just transfixed with, like, I don't know, guarding the house. has been waiting for demons to crawl out of this all this time or something. The dog is transfixed. The dog's been in the basement, almost as transfixed as George has been with keeping the place warm and feeding the fire. The dog is transfixed with this wall and this well and this area behind the wall. So he has to go back and go get Harry. He does. And you almost think that he's not going to do it, drives a little ways, and then, nope, stops the fucking van. Got to get the dog. And then I, I was like, I feel like, yeah, this is to, like... Make me not hate you as much, George. Like, make you not think that you're so fucking weak. Because, like, you're going to go get the dog. Kids want the dog. And even though, even fucking Margot Kidder is like, just drive. Like, yeah. so- sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, get the kids another dog. But now he goes back and it makes the ending a little more extra. Because at this point, we've dealt with a little bit of cacophony. Bleeding walls and crazy stuff. Flies. Like, who knows what. The house is just trying to pour it all on it doesn't quite do the freak out house thing not like in the entity mm-hmm. where we get freaking out houses not even in poltergeist yeah i was gonna better. say like poltergeist is like a better freak out house than exactly and this is supposed to be the mother of all haunted houses mm-hmm. amityville for fuck's sakes high hopes wes mm-hmm. but all it has is a little bit of toilet goop and bloody walls that's it it's all it needs, man, because it gets you with temperature, something you're very sensitive to. I thought you would pay a little bit more respect to something that could make you cold. Well, I'd pay for respect to something that fucking made me fall through the stairs into a well of black goop. Now, that is that is scary. That's a very good shot. I love this scene. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. And I love this scene. Harry's been waiting for demons this whole time. And so when a black tarred George just comes sliming out of that place... Harry's on the fucking attack. Yeah. Something's finally coming out of the hole. Yeah. And he's like biting and, and growling and yeah. pulling at George as if he's a demon. Yeah. And and I was like, yeah, that's a good dog. But he, be's, he becomes an even better dog because he realizes, oh, it's George. And even George is like, oh, it's it's me. It's me, Harry. And then it, it goes from biting 
to pulling. Now he's like, Paul, Paul boy, it's a good scene. And I was like, man, I like how this movie is kind of just degenerated into just like this dude and this dog. It's you and me, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it ain't only like a four minute scene though. You know, it doesn't spend too much time here. You know, no, not, but, but I, I think just as much, as much time as you need. And then, you know, I like that. He basically just like breaks out when he gets out of there. It's a good boy. And then, the door closes. The house doesn't want to let you leave. It's it's like, okay, you, I was, I wanted bodies. I wanted blood. And if I can't have your family's bodies, you're not leaving. For, for, for to what end, if this house could get him to kill himself or something, we don't know. But it, it means, it seems more obstinate now than anything. We're just like, yeah. I'm closing the door. You can't leave. And I like this explanation. And in fact, I like this movie. I love the Amityville movie. I love the whole Amityville story. I mm-hmm. love the book very much. But this, um, the way that you describe it actually makes it a far more loftier mm-hmm. story to begin with. Now, he smashes a window and shoves a dog out. And I'm kind of glad they don't show up from the other side of the house. Having <laughs> the dog like have his little feet all bunched up and being manhandled through a window. Because that would be graceless thing to ever see a dog just sort of shoehorned out of a door. Yeah. Out of a window. No, we just get to see him, like, carrying the dog in his arms. That's good. Yeah, it is. They hop in the van, and there is a small... Um, Excript, I suppose? Yeah. Or, or a... Where they say the Lutzes took off and never returned, left their house and all their belongings. Yeah. And, basically. And that's it. That's the story. Although we know that the true story of Lutz's doesn't quite end there, that's really where it began, didn't it? Yeah, it is. Them hucksters. But, uh, yeah, that is the Amityville Horror, as written by Jay Anson, screenplay by some other dude. (laughs) Sandor something. I can't remember. Not (laughs) Anton Sandor LeVay, which would have been so awesome. Uh, Yeah, that would be very good. Yeah, that would be. I I would doubly watch that. But yeah, so I do enjoy this film as an adaptation of a of a novel, and I, I kind of wish it was fiction, you know? I really do. Aside from all of the great documentaries that scared you as a kid, I would rather this live in the realm of fiction. And I think that's the best way to look at it. Sandra Stern is the person that was the that got the credit on the screen here. Uh, just as a an aside, but mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think when you look at this film as anything other than just a story. I think that this is an incredibly effective, classic, haunting story that's really fucking fantastic. I love the cast. Uh, I love the story. I love everything about this movie. When you start hanging all of the extra things on it, i.e. the real murders, then the Lutz's quote-unquote true story, and then how they took that lie and made a fortune touring and books and all this kind of shit can somehow make things seem kind of lame and kind of uh, disingenuous and can diminish the idea of the film when, because you can have this attitude of, Oh my God, the Amityville horror. Do you know that that was like based off of a true story? I was like, leave, leave the marketing campaign alone Mm -hmm. and just enjoy the film for what it is. And I think most people do that. I don't, I don't think I, there's a lot of people I've ever really heard say that it's ruined because they know it's a hoax because I don't even, I've never really seriously talked to anyone except for you in this episode about this story and, and what it means to us as horror fans, but just everything that has come from this 
from all the tropes in haunting films, uh, from these brilliant performances to the iconography of the house. Mm-hmm. I love it all. It, it truly is a larger landmark horror piece than it is given credit for. And I, I like we'd said, the true story and all of the foo that followed afterward and for decades afterward has really overshadowed it, unfortunately. So here we are to take it back a little bit. <laughs> and we're going to take it back to this exact same kind of bullshit. Uh, true stories, hauntings, possessions, houses, people moving into houses with the sordid past in hunting in Connecticut. Mmm, crematoriums down there, too. I love it. You know I love me a good <laughs> crematorium. I'm excited to do that one, and it's going to be hilarious because we just kind of... It, like, oh, yeah, just, we had a whole different plan. We had a whole different plan, and then all of a sudden, like, what happens sometimes... Just sitting here, and then one of us makes an offbeat comment, and the other person mentions a movie, and then says, let's do that next. Yeah, we changed our, our tack. But hey, we're entitled to do that, and I think it fits, because we're all about that organic kind of motion between movie to movie. And I don't know if you're following along at home, but we did go from a Micmac barrel gown to a Shinnecock barrel gown kind of seamlessly, didn't we, Wes? A little too seamless. Well, now we're just going possession house, possession house. How's that? Okay, that's very good. There you go. I was like, I need things simplified. Mm -hmm. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.